Hey, welcome to our not new but not that old podcast, Legends of Philadelphia. These are your hosts, Johnny Zito and his best friend, Tony Trove. Hello. I'm Brian Bierman, helping out on engineering duties. You might be asking, what makes these jabronis such experts? Well, in addition to being Philadelphia natives, Tony Trove and Johnny Zito have a little t-shirt business, South Fellini, that focuses on Philly culture and in-jokes. Lots of times, customers will ask us, you know, what's the deal with these toy and bee tiles? Or they want to know what the word John means. I don't get it, and I'm angry about it. So we decided to start this podcast as an easy explainer for new Philadelphians and a refresher for the old heads. The city fascinates us. No, the city fascinates and excites us. So we're hoping to share that with you. I guess we'll just use an old one and just cut it in. <laughs> I thought you did pretty good. You said you were practicing. You said you practiced all Christmas, uh, all holiday break. All and I, Christmas. Yeah. Mm. And now it, it shows. The work shows. Yeah. So thanks for that. Thanks for putting. Yeah. Putting the extra work. Well, yeah. I don't. I, I, I like that you switched it. It's not new, but not that old. Was that because uh, last week the. The, we had three listeners do it, and I got the one. I said Volate. It's not Vol. It's 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 Volate. And uh, I'm sorry, I got your name wrong. But th- but I think they switched it to that last week, right? Yeah, something like that. I don't know. It felt better than the middle aged podcast. I, my knees were starting to hurt. <laughs> I was like, we gotta we gotta move past this. Like you think your fish oils? I bought them for you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it's new, but not that old. Yeah, chew. I'm really good. <laughs> Yeah, our, our 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 podcast started taking uh, Gentrum Silver. Yeah, so it's, now, a, uh, it's a new year. We're all working we're out better. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Fish oils. Gentrum. That's what it is. Uh, B12s. Shark bites. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I'm trying to get into the, into the mindset of of this episode. It's yeah, it's bringing back to my childhood with uh, very childhood childhood. So before we do that, I wanted to say, because last week I forgot to explain this, that uh, you asked me what I did over Christmas break. And I, besides obviously practicing the intro, I did, uh, uh, I, I, months ago I talked about um, hers chips with barbecue and, um, yeah, salt and vinegar in the same ones, in the same bag. And I couldn't find them. Remember we talked about this. So. Yes. I, this unicorn. I did some, yes, I did some investigating and I wrote. I reached out to hers. I wrote hers. So <laughs> this is uh this is what I wrote. Hello hers. My name is Brian Bierman. I have been a big hers eater my whole life. One time I almost went to the is that, factory. What is Is that some What is that? Oh, this is me so I wanted to make uh music like happy piano music in the background but uh i was at i it came out like this i'm sorry i don't know this it's is this weird. a letter or a voicemail how are you communicating <laughs> no i'll i'll it's a letter I'll, I'll i'm reading i'm reading the email the transcript okay all right so just just this music listen when you go in the studio it turns out songs turn out different from from originally how you you know, plan them. So, all right. So this is what I wrote. Hello, hers. My name is Brian Bierman. I have been been a big hers eater my whole life. 
One time, I almost went to the factory tour, but my mom wouldn't take me because it was getting late. I'm writing today on behalf of my Philly history podcast called Legends of Philadelphia. On the show, I mentioned seeing Hers Barbecue and salt and vinegar chips together in the same bag. I wanted to buy them when I was at Acme the one time, but then I didn't. Later on, I could never find this product again at Acme or other non-Acme stores. I started to think maybe I dreamed these chips because I couldn't find them anywhere. I even asked the guy at Wawa and he helped me look for them. No luck. I did see the sour cream and onion chips in the same bag with the cheddar, so that gave me hope that the barbecue and salt and vinegar bag was a reality. I have bought barbecue hers and salt and vinegar hers and combined the two in a bag in a failed makeshift attempt at recreating these fabled chips. It wasn't the same, and I also made quite a mess. Please tell me, <laughs> did I dream this, or are hers barbecue and salt and vinegar chips available in the same bag, or am I slowly letting go from the grips of our reality? I am eagerly await your response. Sincerely, Brian Beerman. P.S. I hope Chipper is doing well. And then they wrote back to me. They did uh, not. They, they wrote. They wrote back. Did J- was it Jim Her who wrote you back? No, it was oh. Jen J, the customer service rep at hers. She wrote back. Jen J. She Her. said thank. You. Dear Mr. Beerman, Mister, it's pretty fancy from a, from a potato chip company. That's more respect than I get from like from you guys. You can tell they don't know who you are. Well, your dad is Mr. Beerman. That's true. That's true. (laughs) Thank you for taking the time to contact us here at Her Food. It says Her Foods. Isn't it hers? They they would know. Are you sure you wrote the right company? (laughs) Maybe. Maybe I got it wrong. (laughs) It was a sex shop or something. (laughs) Thank you for taking the time to contact us here at Her Foods and for your comments. I'm sorry. Our flavor mixed chips have been discontinued. I will certainly let the appropriate department know that you would like for us to bring them back. We look forward to serving you in the future and want you to thank you for your continued confidence and support. Have a great day. So they're gone. They, they, so they must have. That was a really think, polite like, way of telling you to leave them alone. Well, that was this was only the first email. I didn't read the other nine. <laughs> the other nine. Because I was I was upset. That, you got to go to the top. You got to go, give me Jim Hurt. <laughs> Yeah, that's what I should. I should ask for his you, personal email. You should ask. It's probably Jim at hers dot com. The manager's email, right? manager, and just and infinite, and then you get to Jim her. No, I gotta go to. I gotta go to Chipper. Although Chipper, Chipper's not. He's not pushing any weight around there. He's got. He's he's a little on that totem. Like ball. you cut off the head and the body dies. That's how it works. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's harsh. That's like. Game of you want the chips or not, Brian? Chips. I do want those chips. So I, th- what I think what happened is they test, they did like a test run of them, and people were just. You like, should have bought them. They, would, they might. We, not, they might I know. I should have. We could be eating That's them. Why we, I wrote they, them. I'm pissed off about. I can have that dust all over my face. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we can cut all this, right? <laughs> <laughs> Ah, the new rule. No cuts. No cuts. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We're not doing that. Podcast verite. So that's what I did over Christmas. So I so I solved the mystery of the chips. Well, I think you stumbled onto the answer in your letter itself, which is that you can buy a bag of both chips and simply combine them in a bowl. Yeah, but you didn't listen, though. It was a mess. Well, I, I, I'm going to go with user error. I'm going to wait for... I'm it gonna wasn't give, the same, I'm going to give it a shot myself and see if I can do it. <laughs> I'm not a professional, though. Me and you are not professionals at putting chips in the same bag, so it's not going to taste the same. That's just that's just a guarantee. 
Yeah, what do you two know? I think I'm gonna be able to handle it. I'm just gonna, I'm gonna try. I'm gonna see where it goes. I'm, I'm gonna. I. It's not that I don't trust your your skills yeah, in the be, kitchen. He's gonna be covered in dust. He's be covered yeah, in I, I, I got salt and vinegar still in embedded in the fibers of my carpet. So, good luck with that. Right there, yeah, your pores. Nice. Yep. Mm-hmm. I will wear the proper gear. You can take the sunglasses off. It's gonna be like all, it's gonna be an outline on your face. Yeah, yeah. He's gonna be rubbing it on his gums. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's gonna be weird when we do an episode on hers chips. Now that you've poked, yeah. now that you've poked it's the bear, be, it's yeah. gonna be promoted this multi-million dollar company at the beginning of our show. <laughs> <laughs> now let's talk about the real. Well, why we're all real here, really here. Yeah, why everybody tuned in today. Uh, so actually, we're we're not gonna talk about hers chips anymore. We're now we're gonna talk about uh, the, the Fleer Corporation. <laughs> Maybe we will. Originally headquartered in Alney, uh, the Fleer Corporation holds a special position in the history and the development of two quintessential American activities: bubblegum and baseball cards. Uh, Fleer continues to manufacture more than four million pieces of its double bubble gum, the original bubble gum, every day. Uh, as one that's of the, the original, bu- that's the first bubble gum. Yep, we're gonna get into it. We're gonna get. We're gonna deep dive. Oh. I'm gonna get a little something. history of we gum. We should all be this. chewing. We, we should, should be chewing, chewing gum, gum into and it's really, it's really annoying to listen to. So it's just like, no, people love it. That, they yeah, love in the it. background. People love that on podcast. <laughs> uh, as one of the top three trading card companies, along with Tops and Donruss, Fleer sells about three hundred million dollars uh, per year in sports and entertainment cards, uh, or did still. No. Oh. So uh, today we're going to crack open the collectibles and debate the best Fleer deck ever made. Uh, do you mm. guys uh, do you guys remember Fleer or were you were you more into tops? Uh, the collectors kind of favored upper deck, but I think I had upper deck cards as a kid. I, I, I remember my I was just asking my mom about this because I haven't seen these in years. But when I was a kid, I think my uncle or my grandpa bought me. It was like it came in like a. a it was like the full year of baseball cards. I don't know if it was Fleer or Upper Deck. I think it was Upper Deck, but just and 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 they were like, "You got to hold on to these. These are gonna be worth money." And they never were. Did you hold on to them? <laughs> I I I think I think uh, I think they're somewhere. I think they're somewhere. I have to. I, I, I should I should look. Let's dig them up. We're gonna play with them. But baseball <laughs> cards were like, um, even when we were kids. I mean, they were nothing compared to how big they were in like the fifties and stuff, but they were still pretty popular. When, when we were kids, I think it was like the peak of collecting and there was yes. like, yeah, lots of cards. That was like coming when out. comics were big and collecting comics became like, I mean, I don't know if we're going to get into it, but like yeah, even the, uh, the baseball strike, I'm sure has a, has a, a huge effect on it in the nineties. Oh, I collected, I collected Fleer cards as a, like a kid. Um, I was saying I had the, like the 91, like, cards and uh they came with stickers that had the little little logos of each like like it had like four logos of four different teams or one big sticker of of like one team and i used to draw them uh like yeah it's so funny it's like yeah i'm definitely not an athlete i definitely want to draw the logos not not trying to get dirty here you know (laughs) (laughs) please don't throw that ball at me (laughs) yeah Uh, i'll massage the players after yeah (laughs) massage I was very upset when the Phillies got rid of the maroon, switched to yeah, apple yeah. red. That was yeah. like 
it's been downhill ever since. Ever right? since, ever since. No, but I love Fleer cards, and I and I think of Fleer cards in two different ways. I think of them as like these baseball cards, and then um, X Men cards. Yeah. Oh, yeah. they made the X Men ones. Well, they made Marvel yeah. cards. Yeah. But they're yeah. like, I'm telling you, to me personally, I feel like that there's like that the baseball strike with '94 is like a line between a lot of these collectibles to me, uh, or like this sort of stuff. Like there's like just baseball cards that were came from then, and then there's that strike, and then the memorabilia merch world kind of like continued, or baseball card world made other things, you know. That's interesting. I didn't think about the strike having an effect, but I wonder if that that year's cars should have been like them, like sitting on the couch and shit. You know what I mean? <laughs> like eat, eating chips. Personally, like. yeah, yeah. I, I like. I feel like I switched over from my interest of baseball to like comics. You know, when uh, the strike happened, it was like, there was nothing yeah. to do, nothing to watch. Even I think hockey even took a strike right around then too. And yeah, ninety seven. I think boring stuff. Yeah. Uh, I uh, I got into collecting cards pretty early. A neighbor gave my brother and I a full set of uh, 1983 Fleer football cards. And, like, I didn't know anything about football, but the cards have great artwork and team logos and these, like, epic photos of athletes, <laughs> you know, jumping and doing shit. And you're like... Zeno's mom's like, uh, uh, do you like football? He's like, no, I, I just like that they're friends. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I like the teamwork of it. I do. I like teams. Well, we like sports, but we don't like being competitive. So where do you yeah. stand? Why somebody got? Yeah. Why somebody got to win all the time? Why somebody got to lose? What's that all about? Yeah. Can we just? We, we just had a good time. We all got fresh air. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then uh, you know, and then the, the like Joe was saying, the comic book stuff. Uh, there was a. Uh, I remember in grade school there was a, uh, old Fleer Ultra. 1994 X-Men series, and two kids got in a fight over the uh, White Queen. I guess there was a dispute over what they had traded one another for, and two kids got in a fight over it, and the teacher took it away from them. And then it was like a... Was it like a sexy one? Yeah. So it was like extra <laughs> embarrassing. Uh, of course, of course. What's White Queen? Uh, she's she's the she's an X Men uh, psychic, and she okay. she and but she wears oh. like sexy outfits, and so like you're you're like a fourth grader or a, or a fifth grader, and the teacher catches you with this thing. <laughs> it's like two boys are fighting over it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I want to see erotic illustrations. Like yeah, <clears throat> and it was like they were paint they were painted they were like top of the line. By this point, they were being treated like collector's items. So these images weren't just like ripped out of a comic book. Yeah, they it's were, art. They were, I got it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Somebody did an oil painting of this sexy lady, so it drove these boys nuts. It's <laughs> comic books are real books. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but they, they, they didn't, they, from such humble beginnings, uh, the, so it, it goes all the way back to German born confectionist, Frank Fleer. Uh, he married the daughter of flavor extract mogul Otto Holstein in the 1880s and soon established wow. Fleer and Co. Uh, th- th- that was big news. I'm sure at that time, <laughs> the public was a flutter with this love. Uh, well, it is the, it is the joining of two, um, two business families in a way. And so Fleer applied his in-laws' flavoring techniques to chickle, a boiled and dried sap that fed the growing chewing gum craze in America. And uh, <laughs> I don't get it. I don't. What's 
Who raised oh, this, this shit? <laughs> <laughs> Look, everybody knew boiled sap. <laughs> it was driving people crazy. Gum was a new thing, and people it was a, it was a fad, and people were getting into it. And this was the I, first. I, I love like thinking. I never thought about. Like, I love thinking about like when the first time like anybody th- anybody found like. Like, like I never thought about the first time gum was invented. But was, was, like people... one guy walks over just chewing it. Like, <laughs> yeah, he's like, "What's that? What, what is that? Chewing? Oh, what's what? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what is the, that? What is that? It's a thing in a, your mouth. He's oh. blowing a bu- It's a bubble out of his mouth. What no, <laughs> no. See, that's that's a whole other technology. This is chewing gum. This is this is nascent. This is the beginning oh, of that. So, yeah. so that oh. so that that's like extreme bubble gum when that came out. So that this was like is, the X well, games. Well, wait, of, it, gets, it gets there, right? So, yeah. so this stuff is called. This stuff was was uh, this candy coated gum was chiclets. It's the original chiclets. Bo- chiclets. Boiled sap, kid. Boiled sap. Boiled sap covered in candy, with a candy coating. The original chiclet. And uh, Fleer, this was, it became insanely popular. People were really into, uh, like I said, gum at the time, and the chiclet made it possible for you to transport the... Oh, you think it'll the... catch on? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> gum. Uh, well, sliced bread hadn't been invented. You're eating it whole. <laughs> so Fleer Fleer became internationally successful uh, with the chiclet, and he uh, sold his business uh, and the chiclet brand to the Cadbury people, who still own the trademark today. Damn. Yeah, the Cadbury egg people. So he soon started uh, a new Fleer company and started producing candy uh, on his own and uh, looking for the next big thing in gum technology. However, he Don't died in 1921 <laughs> before he could realize his dream. <laughs> this was a man's dream, Beerman. Well, when you think when you think about gum, it's like they they the modern gum makers stepped on the shoulders of giants, and, and he was a he was a giant. Frank Flair was a giant in the gum, gum pioneer. Game. Yeah, and uh, he so even though uh, he died in 1921, years later the Flair Company would develop. They would continue to pursue this dream and develop the world's first bubble gum, which you could blow bubbles with, which was double Whoa. bubble. Double bubble. Yeah. What do you think people were just like? Do you think some people were like, this should be outlawed? Like, we shouldn't absolutely. have bubble gum. It's going to get on everybody's mustaches. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, totally. And in fact, it's funny you say that because the first double bubble stuck to your face. So, like, the the formula improved over time. But uh, each <laughs> pink chunk sold for a penny a piece wrapped in wax paper, and it became an instant success. Can you Can you swallow it? What happens when you swallow it? What happens when you swallow it? It lives in your stomach for seven years. Oh, my God. Yes, absolutely. Scientific fact. You heard it on Legends of Philadelphia. (laughs) I swallowed it. Just do it. Do it. (laughs) I did it. (laughs) Do it and then see what happens. So this was the first uh, this is the first bubble gum. So they invented the first regular gum that you could like package the chiclet. And uh, then they invented double bubble. They were like, we're not done yet. And uh, so they created... They created the modern uh, uh, idea of bubble gum, blowing a bubble. Um, what a weird concept, though. Like, like it's like, is it food? No. But don't, you don't chew it, it and then it. you spit mouth. it out, and it's like, oh, is it tobacco? No. It's just, <laughs> it's gum. Does it get you it's high? Boiled sap. You love, <laughs> you know, how you love sap. <laughs> you, know you love sap. 
Now you can take it with you on the Go app. I've been chewing on bark like a sucker. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, with Double Bubble, Fleer outgrew its uh, Diamond Street location up in North Philly and moved to uh, 10th Street in Alney. And uh, Fleer built a multi-million dollar bubblegum monopoly that lasted from wow. 1947. Not lasted until 1947. C- can you believe there's a f- gum monopoly in Philadelphia? Could you imagine? We, never we would all be chewing it all the time if it still was going on. <laughs> like we'd be chewing it right now. People would be like, wouldn't even think anything of it. They would be like, right, no. we're doing it too. Yeah, that's yeah. the the sound you know wouldn't I mean? even affect them, right? Like like when people yeah, like work at the Coca Cola factories, like the whole town just like drinks Coke, you know, yeah. for breakfast. Right, right. right. man. Scrap one gum. <laughs> that must have been an amazing time to live in Philadelphia. Uh, so uh, in 1947, that's when Tops started making bazooka bubble gum, uh, cutting into Fleer's market with their nationalistic red, white, and blue wrappers and a comic in each. You knew somebody was going to rip that off. That was too good of an idea. Yeah. Bubbled gum? Come on. Yeah. People love it. Can't get enough of this stuff. And uh, this is where Bazooka Joe comic strips come from, and uh, uh, th- that that uh, you know still existed today as well. And and they were made by the Tops uh, company. And uh, then in 1952, Tops set the standard for the modern baseball card bubblegum combo by releasing uh, a stick of uh, you know uh, rock hard bubblegum with their packs of baseball cards. Thompson invented, but they standardized it. They started releasing it like this all the time in 1952. But it was actually um, Fleer's son-in-law, Gilbert Mustine, who started including trading cards of movie stars like Mary Pickford, world-famous Mary Pickford, uh, historic heroes like <laughs> Wild Bill Hick. Mary Pickford. Back then, kids were fighting. Kids in school were fighting over Mary Pickford. <laughs> Mary Pickford, right, 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 right. Your teacher catch was an embarrassing. Give me that. <laughs> you can see her foot in this. No tradebacks. Uh, historic heroes like Wild Bill Hickok, uh, f- uh, famous presidents or popular presidents, and sports stars like Babe Ruths uh, would be included in uh, Fleer's packs of candy all the way back to 1928. So um, uh, Gilbert came up with the idea, and they did it randomly. They would do it as occasionally a promotion, like in the same way that a, a cereal might have a different toy at the bottom of it, you know, when we were kids. Yeah. Right, uh, right, so. Right. Just an occasional thing. But then Tops was like, why don't we do this all the time? And they got a contract with MLB, and uh, they, they got the exclusive rights to, to sell bubblegum and trading cards packaged together. That was what their contract with MLB said. Uh. Right. So, uh, But baseball cards have been around longer than the National League, b- longer than organized baseball, with the first ones popping up in 1860s. Uh, for anyone who doesn't know the origin of baseball cards, they first became popular in the early 1900s when tobacco companies started inserting them into packs as a way to boost sales. In 1909, the American Tobacco Company began so inserting— So kids would buy them. <laughs> well, that was the controversy. Yes, that was—yeah. And then— some of these baseball players didn't take kindly to that, and uh, like Honus Wagner, who has the most famous uh, or most valuable baseball card in history, because he he heard his image was being used to sell tobacco to kids, and he was like, "What the heck?" And he had he had it pulled over this licensing dispute. Oh, is that why it's so rare? Yes. Yeah. Oh, I never realized that's. And that's where the trend kind of like not geared- that. Not that Honus Wagner was like, this is abhorrent. He was like, I'm trying to get a cut of this. (laughs) 
Uh, maybe I don't know. I didn't look into the I'm trying to, to get my beak wet. But yes, that is literally, yeah. <laughs> and and so I mean, it, and and that that kind of be, began like a trend towards including these baseball cards with candy because it's like kids look up to baseball players, and so we should be selling something that's relatively harmless, um, I guess. Although sugar, not great. <laughs> So, bubblegum hater. <laughs> this is Fleer Town, son. All right. This guy hates boiled sap. <laughs> uh, and the Honus Wagner dispute uh, began a, a long history of uh, likeness rights uh, disputes uh, and infringement that, that uh, continues to this day. In 1952, Top secured the uh, exclusive rights to produce MLB trading cards sold in packages of bubblegum. Uh, and in 1959, Fleer hit back by signing uh, an almost over-the-hill Ted Williams to an exclusive trading card contract, and they produced an 80-card set of Williams' achievements throughout his career. And the series was so successful that in 1960, Fleer released the Baseball Greats set. Uh, first, uh, it was the first throwback series of its kind, featuring Williams, Babe Ruth, Ty Cobb, Connie Mack, and this is how they kind of got around the the MLB contract about the gum and the baseball cards. Because they weren't current players and promoting the current teams, they were able to sell gum and yeah and and baseball cards together, mm. being real sneaky or crafty. You got to but Dude, the 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 gum the gum business is notoriously cutthroat. <laughs> <laughs> In uh, 1965, Topps and Fleer went to court to determine who really had the rights to produce baseball cards and uh, gum together. And the Federal Trade Commission overturned a previous ruling that allowed Fleer to produce baseball cards in the first place. So Fleer sold the remainder of its baseball contracts to Topps and concentrated on other sports and entertainment figures like the Three Stooges and Gomer Pyle. Classics. Classic. I'll trade you a shemp for a... uh... No, I don't want to keep... Keep you walking. Take keep, take your curly Joes and get them the hell out of here. <laughs> at this point, I mean, these guys are like primarily the, the Fleer and Tops are looking at themselves. They think of themselves as gum manufacturers, as candy and and candy makers, you know, and then the baseball right, cards and things. You know? Yeah, exactly. And so all of this is just like lawsuits over packaging every day. They're just churning out so much gum. That's the real moneymaker at this point. Yeah. <laughs> but People in, are addicted to it by this point. Yeah, they just even even people with TMJ they just can't stop. So in <laughs> what's TMJ? It's like a jaw thing. It's, it's, oh, okay. it, in in 1980, Fleer took Tops to court uh, again and accused them and the MLB of having a baseball card monopoly. Uh, the judge agreed, uh, and that opened the door for Fleer to begin printing baseball cards again. A uh, a third competitor, a third competitor, Memphis-based Dunross rode the coattails of Fleer's victory and also began production in 1981. So the, in 1980, um, all of these court battles had been settled, and uh, I guess uh, Fleer would sue Tops, and then a judge would say, okay, you can't produce any baseball cards, and then Tops would sue Fleer, and then they would say, you can produce them, but without the, the bubble gum, and then they would the rules would change back and forth, and in 1980, they, they went far, far enough up the federal chain that, that like, it was Who decided. cares? Just make Yeah, yeah, yeah the government was just em. like, stop wasting our time with this bullshit. Yeah, anyone can print them. You too, Donruss. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Uh, Fleer baseball cards, meanwhile, were just taking off. Along with Double Bubble Production, the Alni plant handled card cutting and packaging operations. Uh, oh man, you know that you know that factory in Alni was like Willy Wonka. <laughs> Can you imagine? <laughs> uh, the next year. Uh, uh, in order to get around the the gum uh, packaging conundrum, Fleer decided to just start packaging baseball cards with team logos uh, and stickers, uh, which were awesome. People loved them. So uh, they didn't even I, miss I, the gum. Like me. Yeah, you preferred the stickers, <laughs> right? But you know what's crazy? Like, it's like, it's like, let's just sell the packaging. What about the product? No product. <laughs> you think people will like it they're gonna love it that's crazy you know it is it's a bold thought it's a, it's I love a big leap yeah yeah from being inside the company it's a big leap uh so top sued them of course uh and called the stickers a sham designed to subvert the law and uh it was as if uh, both co- companies suddenly recognized that there was more value in the cards than the gum uh like you're saying Let's buy some old packs and chew the gum. Yeah, cut our fucking lips open. No, let's do it. All right. We should do it on air. <laughs> on air. <laughs> Last year, uh, Beerman, you bought us a, a bunch of Desert Storm cards, and I'm pretty sure those were... That's right, I did. I'm pretty sure those were Fleer. Did, did they come with yeah, gum? They did. The, no, it came with stickers that didn't stick anymore. Oh, right, right. I got a <laughs> UN flag. Yeah, it was Desert Desert Storm uh, Victory card. I, mean, I got so a Dick like, Cheney card. <laughs> yeah, it was like Norman Schwarzkopf and shit. <laughs> Dick Cheney action sticker, foil sticker. <laughs> In nineteen eighty six, Fleer branched out and got the licenses for the NBA. Uh, and produced its premier run of basketball cards. Up until that point, for the last few years, basketball cards had been out of print. Nobody was printing basketball trading cards. And so that set in 1986 featured the rookie cards of Michael Jordan, Charles Barkley, Carl Malone, uh, Hakeem Olajuwon, Patrick Ewing, Clyde Drexler, Isaiah Thomas, uh, and on and on and on. And uh, these were guys who had premiered in the four or five years before but hadn't had cards yet. So their first... Trading cards, their rookie cards, are the 1986 Fleer NBA cards. And uh, it is a super valuable set um, if you collected them back in the day. It's one of those collectibles that still has uh, value to it. In all, nearly half of the entire set is composed of uh, rookie cards. The 86 deck is considered a masterpiece by collectors, and a Jordan card alone fetches around $10,000 in good condition. A perfect one went for... $100,000 $100,000 a few years ago. Wow. Wow. Yeah. If any listeners have an extra one of these, <laughs> if you could just drop it off at 1507 East Passage. East Passage. Did you ever see when the, uh, the Menendez brothers on that basketball card? They're like in the background. Yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> they went on to, uh, what did they do? Kill their they killed their parents and they went to like a Knicks game and there's a, there's like a basketball <laughs> card with them like eating popcorn yeah, they're behind the like, <laughs> like they're so <laughs> rich they're on the floor looking so you know? guilty <laughs> their tickets were a plus they were they were like on the floor at the next game they were like spike lee's next to them <laughs> <laughs> wherever the link to the card <laughs> well that one that one wasn't Fleer. i don't think uh Fleer's most oh, notorious card mind, you probably never mind, never mind. 
you probably know Fleer's Most Notorious card. I'm pretty sure we've talked about it before. Fleer's Most Notorious card was the 1989 Billy Ripken baseball card. His brother, Cal. Oh. Cal is a Hall of Famer, but Billy will forever be remembered for posing with the fuck face, the words fuck face, <laughs> written clearly on the knob of his bat in his uh, baseball yeah. card. What a knob. <laughs> <laughs> Did he know about it? Did they do that on purpose? He denied it for years and years and years. He said that it was a, he blamed it on like a bat boy or whatever. But in 2008, he admitted oh, it in on. an interview. He was like, it was a dare and I did it. <laughs> it was a dare. <laughs> and your brother's like such a famous player. And like, he's just like, <laughs> yeah, you're just, you're just trying to stand yeah, out. Know. He's like, let me have this, Cal. <laughs> a better baseball you're an well, iron man let me have let me write the f word on my bat please i also well, like that, that that was just his bat and that's what his like his name on his bat <laughs> <laughs> yeah fuck face. Like, that's how i know it's mine like other players that was his number. nickname right <laughs> yes that. yeah yeah billy fuckface ripkin coming to the plate <laughs> Uh, in Fleer's scramble to recall and print a censored edition, they inadvertently created a high-demand collector's item. And there are websites uh, dedicated to the card and its variations. So they, like, pulled this card. They they created an edited card. And then there's there's substitutions. Uh, it, it's There's a bunch of these versions out there. They all have different values, and they're all, like, they're, they're highly sought after. I actually, the, the, like, I, I, we didn't even, I didn't even know you, we were going to do the um, talk about this this week but last like last week i was looking at i heard about um simpsons trading cards from it wasn't fleer i think it was like skybox from the 90s and they do a and there's like original art and they do a parody of it but it says fish face on the bat it's supposed to be billy <laughs> That's Sky, skybox skybox got bought by fleer so by the and they kept producing oh. under yeah that'll come later but they kept producing under the name skybox on the side so there is a um there's a possibility that, that that was all being handled through the same marketing department. But they owned the rights to it at that point. They would have owned the rights to the original card and wouldn't have had to have been worried about being sued for parody or anything like that. Mm -hmm. That's pretty funny. We'll have to link to both the original Billy Ripken card and the Simpsons card. Uh, I guess we'll get into it now uh, about who bought who. But in 1992, Marvel Comics bought Fleer through a stock takeover. And the comics publisher was flush with cash at that moment because of the sudden speculator boom driven by uh, collector's markets. In 1989, the Wall Street Journal published an op-ed that theorized the market was so bad, your investment would be safer in baseball cards. And this catchy headline spread across the airwaves, and suddenly you were hearing about grandmas with Honus <laughs> Wagner cards and kids discovering wow. copies of Action Comics number 1 and their dad's, you know, uh, footlocker. And uh, by producing their own trading cards, Marvel hoped to swing the same big profits that they were they were achieving with their comics by relaunching with new number ones and prestige formats and things like that. What was the, what year was the, you told me the X-Men number one is like the biggest selling comic ever. Yeah. Right? I'm pretty sure it still Wasn't is. Wasn't that yeah. around, around this time? I think that was 1992. Yeah. And, and, um, all the speculator stuff, I had never really looked it up before, but I, I, this, this article that I'm referencing, I'm pretty sure it was wall street journal. Um, I'll, I'll double check, uh, for the show notes, uh, for the uh, visual companion. But, um, there was a legit article that was out there that somebody put out there, and the idea that the stock market and the re the impending recession was going to be so bad that you might as well invest in these uh, nostalgia-fueled collectibles. And things like model trains and baseball cards and comic books were having a, uh, a you know, a, a retro resurgence, and they were being worth money yeah. and being bought and sold and traded 
by people who grew up with this stuff, who are now on the other side of 40 and had money to spend on the originals. And so uh, a market developed yeah. around it. And then uh, Marvel Comics specifically, I don't know outside of Marvel Comics, but I was collecting as a kid. And uh, in 1992, Marvel was just like putting out new number ones every week and gold foil covers and, and holographic cards uh, of, with every polybagged, you know, special edition. And so these were... They, they were like, oh, you, you guys think uh, these things are going to be worth some money, huh? And then they would just like print millions and millions of copies. And then by virtue of there being so many copies yeah. that it's not worth anything. Like that that Billy Ripken card is worth something because it's it's hard to come by. They they pulled it. They yanked it. it they destroyed copies of it. and But there are millions of X-Men number one. And they, you know, they sold them for a dollar when it came out and then 75 cents a couple months later and then 50 cents. And now today you can get it for, you know, 10 cents or 25 cents. At, you they know, pay like, you to take they it. Pay, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, uh, it's just one of those, it's just one of those things. They flooded the market. They, they recognized that they had this thing going on and they flooded the market. And, uh, I like they went for ahead. the quick buck. It had been <laughs> no way, no, I don't. <laughs> <laughs> Quick buck, eh? <clears throat> I didn't. I didn't buy into this when I was a kid. I didn't really like when there was like, oh, there's like a ten dollar card that's like got a foil on it. I didn't understand like why like a new card would be worth more uh, than a rare card of an old player. That, you know, um, it's funny that you're describing it like this. I, I remember being kind of like aware of it as a kid when this was kind of like. I was like prime demographic for this to be bought into, you know. I I'm pretty sure you went there too, and we've talked about it before. Uh, uh, the uh, the the baseball card and comics dugout on Broad Street. Um, a lose dugout. Lose dugout. Yeah, and it, you, it, it, shout out all the old baseball and. Yeah, well shops. they they got they started out as a baseball card collectors, uh, you know, uh, kind of spot because the baseball cards weren't getting sold in line at uh, the supermarket or on newsstands. They were the only place you could get them was uh, candy stores. And when they stopped putting candy in them, that opened up a uh, in 1980s that opened up these collector stores where people would like buy, sell, and trade them. And then eventually, like a place like Lou's Dugout gets into doing comics because Marvel buys. Uh, buys Fleer. Yeah, that and makes sense. That makes they're sense. pushing the comic books on them and stuff. And so now these these people who are like buying baseball cards because there was legitimate collectors items be floating around that you could get yeah, your hands the on. Nerds in. Yeah. <laughs> like, We're just trying to talk about sports. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Little Zito's like, do you have that storm card where she's wearing a backless dress? <laughs> <laughs> Get out of here, you nerd! <laughs> no, a, he had a pinwheel hat on. They would have sold me too. Are you kidding? They, this one's this one's for you to look at, and this one's for you to put in a fireproof safe and and keep yeah, for the this, future. You know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so by the time this was all going on, that's when uh, Upper Deck uh, hit the scene, and they started putting out higher quality baseball cards aimed at collectors. So that when Marvel Entertainment released, uh, because. So Upper Deck was like, we're going to release it on heavier card stock and that we're going to tweak the photos with color treatment, you know, so that they're not just washed out, you know, photos from a, a, a too bright day at Vet Stadium or whatever. Yeah, like the the those Simpsons cards, I, like I was looking at them for for like an hour because it was all like uh, it was all original art I had never seen. Like Matt Groening, like drew for these like specific. So it was like. 
yeah, it was like if you're a fan of this stuff, this is like you know. There's even stuff. like a change in printing. Like I know there's like a matte yes. kind of yeah. look to the old ones, and then there's like a you know. Yeah, it looks like cardboard. You know? It looks like it's printed on like cardboard. Yeah. Yeah, they started to get fancier because Upper Deck showed up, and Upper Deck was only um, gearing towards the collector's market. So when Marvel Entertainment bought Fleer, uh, they released their answer to high uh, high quality card production, uh, the Fleer Ultra line, and uh, these were painted on on glossy cardstock, thicker, brighter, gold foil, holograph ac- hologra- holographic accents. Uh, these, uh, looked like collector's items and people wanted them and they wanted to trade them and the markets ate them up. Yeah. At the time, the VP of Fleer, uh, says, uh, quote, consumers liked foil. They liked shiny things. They liked glitter, uh, just like animals. You could, uh, take, <laughs> wow. Yeah, wow. There's a, there's a, there's this a guy's quote. like smoking a cigar and it's just like, <laughs> I don't care about these fat, these fucking idiots, these this rubes. There's a rubes. sucker born every second. <laughs> Mark this guy this guy said a, a bunch of things this is just the one quote I pulled but he called the whole collector's market a Ponzi scheme and he said that he he made the he made the Ponzi scheme by applying uh, actual marketing principles to uh, the pyramid uh, scheme ideas and so uh, wow. so he, he so when he calls people animals he's like really he this is scratching the surface of what this guy how this guy does business Tell him uh, really I'm sure think. he's very yeah. happy. Uh, yeah, I just wanted his... some gum, you know? What the hell? <laughs> <laughs> back, uh, back, um, back to his quote. If you could uh, take a design and make it pop by doing physical applications on the cardboard, that's what really drove a set. From design quality standpoint, the more bells and whistles uh, you could put on there, the better. You couldn't over-design a card. As long as the player remained in the foreground, you couldn't over-glitz it. So that's what we did, end quote. Um, and I remember, it's like... cardboard. <laughs> yeah. I remember them like I guess this is when they th- things started to become like more photoshoppy as well. They started having access to computer um, uh, design equipment. Uh, they weren't just like you know buying photos from you know Getty or the AP and and yeah. so Fleer realized that the trading card manufacturers were all selling the same athletes to the to consumers, but figured they could convince uh, both the twelve year old fan and the forty year old speculator to buy Fleer's Michael Jordan card over its competitors based on what the company did to the card itself to assure the additional value. And that meant they had to outdesign the rest of the market. So you get these like holographic things that are like these like little holographic buttons or logos on there that like officiate it and mean it's not like a copy, like there wasn't like a bootleg market yeah. or whatever. But but And but it's like, like it's like it's a picture of Michael Jordan and at the bottom it's like Michael Jordan gets offended by someone. <laughs> It was him mid 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 offense. Yeah, that uh, that spite drove him to do a lot of things. Yeah, his spite numbers were off the charts. Thing. <laughs> Graphic designer Gene McLeod removed these uh, removed those athletes from the familiar backgrounds of ballparks and basketball courts. And uh, based on the title and the theme of the project she was working on, McLeod and her team of freelance designers would do photo mashups of bold collages. Uh, uh, there's a lot of great ones from these years. People should definitely look up the uh, the Fleer Ultra NBA cards. They're they're awesome. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll put a few in the visual companion. But Marvel uh, Fleer overproduced in these years uh, to meet huge orders from Rite Aid and Walmart's across the country. So after Marvel got involved, they took it out of the direct market, uh, out of those uh, loose dugouts, and put them in. Uh, bigger chain stores all over the world. So, still I mean, ha- Zito, this is like total insider. So, um, do you think Diamond Distributors was putting 
these out? And if so, did they lose it to put it out? Like how it ended up in like Walmart? No, they weren't doing. I don't know if Diamond owned. I, that's a really good question. I don't think that they weren't being. I, I worked at a comic shop at, when around these years when we were kids, and so I became familiar with how they order comics. But I don't remember anything in the back about um, ordering uh, uh, ordering cards, cards. But Upper Deck sold Diamond, shirts and collectibles Diamond. in Diamond at the time. Definitely, yeah. Diamond was like Marvel's like delivery service, right? Or like they do, they do all the comic books. They yeah. do, yeah, and and like merch and like like oh, anything comic book stuff. That's they solicit to all the all these independent comic book stores that are out there. I guess mm. that's also weird that there's comic book stores now where there were and that there weren't baseball card stores like there was. Yeah, I remember even as a kid, there was just like a store that was just like baseball card. There were a couple in like my neighborhood. And like, yeah, that yeah. could never happen. That would literally never happen. Now. There's one. In, <clears throat> there's one in South I mean, there's like, still. there's a couple, but it's just like not like there was two in like within walking distance of my house. Sure, sure. But it's crazy now. They're all just like, or they like they they're not just the comic books, and that's kind of it. Because I guess comics consistently come out. Yeah. Well, I uh, as I remember, I that's what happened Diamond to lose. Yeah. I mean, it's just like over time, over a couple of years, comic books took over because it was one big event after another and the, the cards became less and less, you know, the one set of cards comes out every year, but a comic book event comes out every month or, you know. Right. Superman died. <laughs> Superman died again. Superman died again. <laughs> uh, it didn't take long for collectors to wise up uh, to that. And the, the Fleer brand name became synonymous with all the other junk wax on the market. So in 1996, reporting losses of nearly half a billion dollars, Marvel filed for bankruptcy protection, and the factory factory in Olney was closed. All card productions uh, were outsourced, and Double Bubble production was relocated to Mississippi. I tried. To I remember the Daily News had that on the cover. Wow, really? Yeah, wow, I, just, really? Like, I just remember. I maybe we could find it. I'll but look I up just, the cover. I yeah, just completely remember that. Marvel ended up selling Fleer to the founder of Rite Aid in 1999 for $26 million. Uh, that is less than 10% of what it bought Fleer for just seven years earlier. So it took a huge, huge loss. Wow, seven yeah, years? Yeah, the bottom really fell out. Yeah. In 1996, the bottom fell out on all of this stuff. Everyone kind of realized that their that their investments in X-Men number one and, uh, you know, these... these uh, new baseball cards were not going to pay off uh, in the way that they had hoped. So in 2003, uh, Upper Deck offered Dubai Fleer for $25 million. Uh, Fleer declined and ceased operations in 2005. So Fleer's assets were sold at auction where Upper Upper Deck scooped up the whole operation for just $6 million. Uh, So so the the last Fleer sold for $25. Right, they could have at least paid off their debt. The last Fleer branded baseball cards appeared in 2007. So I guess uh, uh, Upper Deck ran out the clock on uh, uh, on whatever was already in production, and uh, that stuff uh, came out over the next few years, and then nothing else was produced, and uh, yeah. Fleer is gone. Smell you later, Fleer. Damn. Hmm. Yep, that's the end. That's the end of the this, the the company's story. That's Which is crazy. a shame. I mean, saying that though, there used to be card stores all over. I remember there was one. On Oregon Avenue, it had they somehow got the hat from William Penn's uh, when it was on his head on the statue of City Hall. The, oh, the they, Phillies hat? 
Yeah, and then they, they got it and they put it on top of their building on Oregon Avenue. And then they were selling it on eBay last year. Yeah, <laughs> I want it. Yeah, I um, it, I I I kind of worked in the collectibles world doing. What was the name of the store? You got to give it a shout out. What, it was, was called it? um, oh man, Comic Book Theater. That's what it was called. Comic Book Theater was the name of that. Story? Comic Book Theater. Yep. Yep. That's and, funny. Uh, Bevan was in there a bunch of times, and I didn't realize that was just because it's just oh the comic book store. Yeah, I, that's why I had a hard time remembering it. It's just the comic shop in my head. And, uh, I mean, I was 12 years old. Uh, the, the guy who owned the place let me, like, stock, restock the long boxes and things like that. And it, it's one of those, it's like an introduction into that world of collectibles. And uh, it is, it, it, it's so big and so cool and so important looking. And somebody calls it a collectible or a memorabilia. And it has, like, this uh, um, uh, gravity to it that, like, uh, attracts yeah. people. And then, like, you know, you find out a few years later that it's all junk. It's all worthless. And, like, it, it's all junk. it, it was, <laughs> yeah, it was all, it, I mean, it matters, it, it, it matters for what it, it, you know, whatever the person it matters to will pay for it. And uh, that's, that's kind of, uh, I guess, what I learned from it, all of it as well. Yeah, I remember you, even, like, I mean, this is the same thing, but it's similar, like, Pokemon cards. I collected Pokemon cards as a kid. And then it was, like. I remember being like, all right, I'm done with this, and then, like, selling them to, like, a comic shop on South Street. <laughs> I'm, like, I'm out. I'm out. <laughs> it's like the nostalgia of it. I remember being a kid and seeing, like, adults being nostalgic for the stuff, and uh, I saw some Instagram page today. They had toys from when I was a boy on their Instagram, and it was in the package, and I'll tell you, it's the packaging that it's like, I remember that, and it's, like, <clears throat> I don't want to own it, but, like, I could, but, like, seeing it is definitely, like, whoa. It definitely brings yeah. you back, you know. It brings you back to a very specific thing that you probably didn't think about. Yeah, and time. I guess it's like, and I think people like in an older generation, they these baseball cards that are from the '60s or whatever, you know, they just kind of thought they were trash. They put them in their base, they put them in their bicycle spokes. Yeah, you know, like and for you know, like oh, these cards that we collected as kids aren't worth anything because there's so many. We kept them in great condition. But we play with all these like Ninja Turtles or whatever, and the packaging you rip them apart. Those are the things that are like, yeah, if you have that in perfect condition, it's worth something, you know. It's right. uh, and if you have a bunch of people nostalgic enough to pay money for it, like, what is this thing worth? Nothing. Or hey, there's a bunch of nerds who are like really want to see that Raphael in in, uh, in the original packaging. We're in a thong. We're in a thong. Yeah, and we're in the like, thong. <laughs> we're in a thong. The rare Shut thong, up. Raphael. <laughs> I think a, a lot of it is a, a, a treasure hunt too. Some some of this stuff just comes down to like, well, you know, that one's valuable because it's very rare. And then some people, you know, they get a thrill out of hunting these things down. So it's not even so much, you know, I love that baseball sure. card or I love that action figure or whatever. But they, uh, you know, they gotta have they gotta have this uh, rare treasure. And it all came from uh, dried up sap covered in uh, hard candy. Okay, that's pretty much all there is to know about FLIR trading cards. Uh, please check out our website, www.southfellini.com. That's S-O-U-T-H-F-E-L-L-I-N-I.com for cool Philly-inspired merch. Check us out on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. We're at South Fellini everywhere. Follow along and join the conversation. We want to hear from you. Look out for new episodes of the podcast every Monday. Stay safe, wash your hands, and wear a mask. Go to the Blockbuster box. <laughs> 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 Goodbye.